Hey guys, thank you so much. Jeannie, uh, Josh communicating. Um, I just appreciate you guys. And, you know, I know that this zoom and also, you know, this meeting in particular, it reaches a lot of people. And I know that um, I just appreciate what you guys are doing with this because I know that the, the message of Alcoholics Anonymous um, is reaching far and wide. Um, so thank you guys and everybody else who contributes to this. It's awesome. Um, I'm Cody Diani. I am an alcoholic. Um, and I got sober um, February 7th, 2008. And um, I just thank God. Um, just Alcoholics Anonymous and the, the blueprint of the 12 steps for um, for where I'm at today, you know, um, glory to God. It's just, um, it's been a journey uh, and it's, um, yeah, it's just been an experience to say the least. So um, I'll just get right into it. Um, and uh, I, I always think about in you guys, I got a squirrel brain, so I got a few notes I'm going to look at here and there. I go off and I'll just start talking about something and, and lose my, um, lose track of the, the flow of the thing. But, but I always like to look at, you know, my experience was, um, I grew up kind of, um, an alcoholic with an identity crisis, right? Like I, I, I grew up and I grew up in this household where, um, you know, my dad drank, my mom drank. And, um, I just remember, you know, smelling marijuana today. I know this is Alcoholics Anonymous, but it reminds me of dad's basement. Like it takes me back to, you know, where he would drink an ice house beer, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd smoke his stuff. And, um, it just, you know, it's that nostalgia of when I smell it. Right. Um, but that was the way I grew up. Um, that was the way he coped and he dealt with life. And, um, I just remember growing up and I remember that basement. I it was so cold because he'd always had the door open, but, um, he'd always be drinking, um, you know, and my mom would be going out to the bar with her friends. And, um, that was just kind of the way I grew up. And, you know, um, I look back and, and I, I was kind of that guy, you know, I, I grew up in black diamond, Washington, Washington state. And, um, we live now not far from there in Buckley. It's a little closer to Mount Rainier, more rural area. And, um, but, but I, I grew up, you know, and that's what they did. And, and me growing up as a kid in school, it was kind of like I, that identity was, was kind of like, I wanted to be like dad. I wanted to be like mom. Right. But I didn't know that I had this thing in me, you know, this alcoholism, uh, thing, um, this, this illness, you know, just lurking. So, so what I would do is I would just, you know, I wanted attention. That was the the type of person that I was. Right. And, and that can still show up today. If, if I don't, um, if I don't submit to this process. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that identity and just, you know, I meet with one of my, one of my sponsees on, on Saturdays, a really good friend of mine every Saturday. And we talk about this spiritual, spiritual malady, uh, part of this illness. And, um, we just, we have a dialogue about, you know, how does this thing, like, do I had a spiritual malady prior to taking a drink, but I was an alcoholic already because if I genetically, I had that physical craving, right. 
you know, I still had a spiritual malady that was in me from the very beginning, right? This deficiency, this, this uh, searching for something, right? And so we talk about that a lot. And we, I, you know, we were just posed these questions and we just kind of iron sharpens iron when we sit down and we have these conversations. Um, so I like going deep into that kind of thing, like really trying to look at, um, you know, this alcoholism as I was growing up. And so that's my story. You know, I was looking for, for attention and, um, what had happened was, you know, at 14, um, I take, I take my first real drink. I took, had taken some sips, you know, when I was younger with my dad and everything, uh, um, you know, I had taken my first real drink and gone to my first real party. And, um, I felt like I, I, for the first time in my life, I was able to, what is it? Match calamity with serenity, right? Um, the drink was my solution to all this stuff growing up. And prior to taking my first drink, let me backtrack. My parents had divorced alcoholic stepdad moved into the house. And, um, there was a lot of, you know, my father and my stepdad had a lot, a lot of loud and aggressive tendencies. So anger has always been a part of my story. Um, and I look back and I took my first drink at 14 and, you know, I was off and running. It was, I felt great. It, it was something that, um, I had always seeked and searched for attention and other things. And then I took that drink and now all of a sudden I was there. I, I arrived, right. I'm, I'm with my crowd. I'm with my people. I can be the class clown. I can fight. I cannot do that and still feel like I fit in and, um, and that I'm accepted with this group of misfits that drink just like I do. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, the long short of, you know, when I started to drink. And so, so as I started drinking, it progressed, right. Um, you know, um, I just remember drinking and, you know, prior around that time of taking my first drink, I'm involved in these friends, but I mean, at home, my home life, my stepdad would drink a bottle a day. Um, it was, it was, it had turned into this very dark setting, right? Uh, my sister and I had grown up where you didn't talk about your problems. Um, you drank your, at your problems. And if there was an issue, you would talk about it. It was shrugged off. You went to your room and you stayed in your part of the house and that was your safe zone. And, you know, my stepdad's area was the living room where he watched TV with the lights off at 5 PM. And it was dark because the lights were too bright, right? It, it would hurt his eyes because, um, you know, it, it was just too bright. And, um, you know, you had to walk on eggshells to go and get a snack in the kitchen and all those, that type of thing. And, um, that's just how we grew up. Right. So, um, so fast forwarding back into the drinking. Right. And, and so I, so I would go out, my parents didn't, you know, there was no leash on me. Um, I started drinking and, um, very pretty heavily, um, right off the gate. Um, it was, um, I had found that solution in alcohol and, um, you know, it progressed rapidly. Um, I just remember that when I would wake up, not, you know, come to without drinking me, um, I was very irritable. I was very angry. I was, a you know, a loose cannon, 
Um, and when you put the drink in me, I, it transformed me, right. That a regular Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of, um, type of reaction with alcohol. Um, so I just kept drinking, you know, and that was the MO and, um, rapidly, rapidly, right. Um, just more and more, um, was the thing. And what I, what I, my experience was, is that every time I drank, there was no stop. There was drink a bottle, drink a beer and go and and block out whatever I was that day. Right. That's where I was going to be. Right. And then, um, you know, you, from there, you don't know, I didn't know what happened, what was going to happen. It was just, you know, all I know is when it was in me, I wanted more. That's what I was doing. Nothing else mattered. Even if it was at the expense of a relationship, um, you know, the law, whatever didn't matter, whatever obligation, um, King alcohol took priority and, and, and just being chained to that. I just can remember that, that feeling of, you know, I'm just doing it. Like, I don't care how far in the dumps I am. I'm doing it, you know, just, just doesn't matter. Once I take a drink, it'll be okay. And if you get me another one, I'll be okay. Um, so page 22 and 23 say opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We're not sure why once at a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We can't answer the riddle. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally as positive that once he takes a drink of alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mentally sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And so I read this and, you know, that's my experience, that craving where, you know, bodily and mentally, right? I, I, I need this stuff to be all right, you know, and this is my solution and I need to be okay. I'm not going to be okay unless you get, give this to me. Right. So this, this is where looking back on my experience, I can see this physical craving, um, where almost immediately in my experience, it developed and it was rapid. Um, so another one on page 30 real quick, guys, I got to go to the book because I got to, I got to give this, this context into the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and match it up with my experience. Because when I read this big book, I got to understand the, the seriousness of the illness that we're dealing with here. Right. And this is my story. And I got to look at this and, and take this literature seriously. You know, there's been a lot of times in Alcoholics Anonymous throughout my experience um, where I haven't been all in. And I haven't taken things seriously on these pages. And so I reference this to, to just to let people know, based on my experience, this is very serious. And what's written in this book is literally the blueprint of, of with a key that can unlock the chains and the lashes of alcoholism, both actively. Well, once you take that first drink out of your system and then get into recovery, this is the key. And, and I just say all that to say, I'm going to page 30. <laughs> we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic recovers control. 
All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals usually were brief, inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We were convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grips of progressive illness. Over any considerable period of time, we get worse, never better. And so for me, I was getting worse, never better. I felt like I had a mental illness at the end. I felt like I wanted to stop. I was walking up and down the streets in, you know, Seattle, looking at the ground, looking for things to get my fix because I had no alcohol. I had nothing and I didn't have it in my system. And I felt crazy and I couldn't put two thoughts together. And I didn't understand the, this, this illness and, and I didn't understand the reason why I was physically the way I was, but also why I was the, mentally the way I was, right? When it's not in my system, I'm go crazy. I have no solution. So it was getting worse, you guys. Um, you know, and sobriety didn't look, sobriety looked really good when I, after my third treatment center and coming out of that, it looked really good. Um, and so what happened was, you know, um, I had, I had come to the end of a run, um, and I, I, uh, like I said, I couldn't put two thoughts together. It was that incomprehensible demoralization. And I called mom. I was 21 years old, right? <laughs> and hadn't talked to her in almost a year. And what she do, she comes, she picks me up for treatment. And um, I fought her. I made her go drive me to to get some stuff before I went into detox. And I went into detox. And I knew I had a moment. I had a divine moment where, um, I knew that I was done. I was putting it down. Um, and, and I could get into all the stuff that happened all the way up until that point, but that's not, you guys understand how to do that. Um, but what I know is that when I got into treatment and I got out, I wanted to live a different way. And I believed you guys, I believe that you guys had a solution. I walked into a men's meeting that got recommended by a friend of mine who had been sober for a couple of years. He got sober at 19 and I walked into this men's meeting and there was laughter. There was happiness. Um, there was a life where at the end, the past, last few years of my alcoholism, I wasn't laughing. It was not fun. I was in chains to this alcoholism and I had to do it in order to be okay. And that, that, to me to see laughter was like hallelujah right it's like being in a room with the lights off and you see that laughter in alcoholics anonymous and all of a sudden someone flips the switch and it's like holy cow there's a whole new life out here just waiting for me um and i was inspired right you guys inspired me um and so i hooked in i got a sponsor you know and um and started learning about the mental obsession. You know, you know, I started learning about this stuff where the thought that precedes the first drink. Why does my mind think the way it does and go, you know, there's my, I have no renewing of my mind. I have no, you know, checks and balances in my mind. My mind is on autopilot default, fear, 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 self-centered fear. What am I going to get next? What are they going to do to me? What you're not giving me, right? And I didn't understand this, this um, 
this mental obsession. And so page 23, I, I, I sit down with my sponsor. We read page 23. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on the last bender, the chances are he will offer you one of a hundred alibis, you know, and that was me. So I went through the motions, got to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe in something greater, you know, and then we get on to inventory and we do that kind of thing. And um, I, you know, I make a list and I make some amends and there's some forgiveness and reconciliation starts happening. And, um, and um, I have a spiritual experience and I continue to have spiritual experiences. And so what happens is my life starts to get really good in Alcoholics Anonymous. I submit to this way of life, you know, sponsorship steps, all these things. And, um, and this spiritual, this spiritual experience carries me through for a while. Um, you know, I meet my wife, um, you know, I get involved in sober softball and I'm doing all these fun things and, um, life was really good until it wasn't until, um, I stopped sponsoring guys. Right. Um, so I stopped going to meetings. Um, I stopped working the steps. I stopped reaching out to people in Alcoholics Anonymous. It was all about my wife. It was all about my, my first child, you know, um, there was no balance in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, I don't know if any of you in this group get these emails, but I'm on this email chain, right? And there was one recently, and when it always comes up, it's, it talks about working the steps backwards. Um, and, it, and it always gets me because that's my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous Sober um, is I can so relate to the working the steps backwards, right? And you guys, I can't, it's, you know, at eight years, something happened and it was really hard for me to illustrate my experience at eight years and just talking off the cuff and I wrote it guys and it's short real quick and I'm going to read it. And this, this is just what happened to me, um, in sobriety and that like, this is my story. Okay. So my, so at eight years sober, I found myself playing victim. I had become a slave to fear. My mental state was on shaky ground and I had lost all motivation for life. During this time, I had no care whether I lived or died. My thought was that I was already dead inside. Is that suicidal? Probably not. But living in this world became very, very dark and hopeless. My firstborn child witnessed a dark side of me that I regret so much. I had become loud and aggressive. I had become my stepfather, who I had despised for most of my life. By the grace of God, through all of this, I didn't pick up a bottle of booze as a solution to numb the self-centered fear, which often showed up as anger or rage. The all-consuming self-centered fear was a result of turning my back on God and a design for living that really works. Going back to the blueprint of having a current experience with God in the 12 steps allowed me to salvage my marriage and with the woman I love so deeply. I put my wife through hell, and for that, I don't deserve her. Through this process, God put it on our heart to forgive me. He continues to work miracles in our marriage and in our life. God opened my eyes to the angels all around me in AA, and with their hands extended, he threw me a life preserver. Fellow brothers in AA who are absolutely on fire for him and their recovery, 
My story is a tale of two rock bottoms, one rock bottom upon arrival to AA and one rock bottom as my life unfolded in sobriety. As I reflect on this sober experience back in my eighth year of sobriety, now in my 14th year of sobriety, all I can say is, thank you, Lord. In my experience, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to, li- we have to live it. Alcoholics Anonymous um, is truly a way of life. And that's, that's my, I'm so passionate about um, God's way versus my way, you know, because my way is that, you know, I get everything I want. You notice me, you give me a pat on the back. I go my merry way and I, and I take, 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 um, you know, and, and all while I step on you and I hurt you. Um, and how much time do I have guys? Where am I at? You got another 25 minutes. Okay, perfect. So, um, um, so, and that's my MO. So I remember sitting in, you know, at eight years, staring at my wife in her face, haven't worked a step in, in, I have a few years and, um, just completely disconnected from Alcoholics Anonymous, dry, 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 dry. And looking at her and her tears rolling down her face saying, what happened to my husband? I want my husband back. And it was like the most cutting, chilling look she was giving me, looking me right in the eyes. And something happened in me where it was like the light came on again. It was dark. And now it was like, oh, You know, I had this moment of identity crisis. I lost my identity. I was completely lost. Self-centered fear was running my business. And, um, and I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. And by the grace of God, um, I had this moment in this light bulb that said, you need to get back to Alcoholics Anonymous and fast, and you need to get a new sponsor and you need to start working the steps again. Um, so, so I, uh, after that conversation, um, my wife and I had relocated from a town, um, closer to Seattle out to near Buckley, Washington. And at the time, um, there was a strong men's meeting out that way, um, called Bonnie Lake Stag. Um, which is my current home group. And I go to this meeting and um, I see guys that are just on fire for the program. I see guys that are, um, that are brand new guys with a handful of years, a guy was with all kinds of years, whatever. It didn't matter what the time was. They were all speaking the same language. And what the language was is we believe in God and we work the steps Right. And we sponsor and we have sponsors. Um, and, um, the passion and the, the, the liveliness of the men in this meeting, um, was attractive. I wanted that. I, I was at a place where my light was off. I, you know, and, and there was, I was at a point where my pride was at a crossroads in that conversation with my wife. I had to submit level my pride just enough to be honest with myself and where I truly was at 
right? And I had to carry that same level of lowering my pride, leveling my pride, right? Like the book says. And I had to carry that same spirit back into Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, with with a quite a few, a handful of years sober and act, and I was new again. And it was a really humbling experience to go into that meeting and just lay it all, lay all my cards on the table. This is where I'm at. You know, they caught, they had a business meeting the next week I showed up and it was whatever you guys need. I'm here to help. I, you know, I want to have a service position. Um, tail between my legs. Right. Um, I started going to retreats. We were putting on a really amazing men's retreat. Um, you know, and I went to that at that time and, you know, hooked up with a guy that was is real strong in recovery out here who, you know, pointed me to my current sponsor. Um, we were listening to some speaker tapes and, um, Dave F is now my sponsor. He's been my sponsor for a handful of years. And I got to business with him and start working, started working the steps again, um, started having a current experience with this stuff. I got to go out to California and um, do one of his sit in one of his workshops after we worked the steps together and um, meet him and hug him for the first time after not hugging him for two years, you know, and um, meeting via via FaceTime, you know, and we still meet via FaceTime. And <laughs> I was joking today. Uh, I called him and um, I said, Hey, I got to talk to you today because I haven't talked to you in a while. And I don't want to go um, to a speaker meeting tonight and share and say that I talk and I call them, call my sponsor. So I got to check in with you. So I'm not lying. You know, that was my, my whole line with him. Um, but we got to check in and we got to talk. I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. That's probably a little light on the truth, <laughs> but, but, you know, um, but he, that man, you know, he, he was a gift from God at the time where I needed him. He was a messenger of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and we started going through the blueprint, man. We started going through, he's sharing his experience with me. We're talking about the main problem centering in our minds, right? The first question he asks me after I ask him to be my sponsor, we have our first call, phone call. He says, he goes, he goes, okay, so tell me what your prayer and meditation life is like, right? That's the first question. Uh, well, Dave, um, it's, I kind of, no, I don't do that. Right. And <laughs> I just remember that conversation. He starts laughing. Um, but, but that's my, you know, but it was awesome to bring that, you know, I'm broken. I'm, I'm going to be honest with this man about where I'm at, I'm going to lower my pride and my ego enough to say, man, this is where I'm at. I really screwed up. Right. And I don't want to forget the spirit, how powerful the spirit of that moment was in my sobriety. I don't ever want to regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Because what I know now today is that when I talk about that experience, my tale of two bottoms, the one in sobriety being, I don't know which one's more powerful, you guys, you know, both of them by the grace of God, but the one in sobriety is the one that I remember, you know, most recently. And I don't ever want to forget the spirit of how I 
where, how broken I was in that moment, because if I can remember that, right. And not regret that, but I can learn from that. And I can look at that and realize that's how much I needed God in my life. I, I was running on self and I was so full of fear. And that's what it does when I turn my back on this way and these steps in, in the hands of Alcoholics Anonymous, if that's how miserable it is, I don't want to go back there. I, I truly do not want to go back there. What I know now in my experience is life is really hard. Life, life can be hard. We all live life and we all have different experiences, right? We have personal experiences, <clears throat> but life can be hard, right? And without a blueprint, and without a guiding light in the 12 steps and being plugged into this program, it can get really dark and really lonely, really fast. And, and, um, I always like to remember that, right. And when I get too high on my horse or too low in the dumps, right. I want to come right back to that moment where I'm just right. You know, it's all okay. If I can, if I can go right back to that moment where I'm broken enough to realize that I need God in my life and the people around me. And I need honesty in my life. From there, all things are possible, right? All, all you know, that's kind of, that's just been my experience, you know? Um, page 68, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent as we do, just to the extent what we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Page 68. So calamity. It hasn't stopped <laughs> since that day. I had the conversation with Dave. Um, I've experienced a lot of blessings, a lot of amazing things have happened in my life. My wife and I have three beautiful children. I've never felt like I've had a stronger relationship with my higher power. Um, I have amazing men around me and just, just this brotherhood and it's all, it's all glory to God. And I can't, I can't, I can't put it into words for those who haven't had the experience. Um, and and what, one of the biggest things that started to change and turn the tide on that mental obsession um, was, you know, because physical craving gets right, up, right out of the bat. If it's not in my body, there's one. Check that off the list, right? But I really, you know, with Dave, we really got down in this work and, and we started to, he started to show me some tools of how do I combat this mind, this mental obsession right? And, I, and now what I know is that this mental obsession can lead me to do not only to go back to the drink, but there's a lot of other behaviors and actions and things that it will lead me back to if I'm not, if I'm not dealing with this mind. And what I've, what I've realized is that this mind, the design of the 12 steps is to hook me in, right? It's a vehicle to the solution. The solution is God. The 12 steps are my vehicle to get there with that personal relationship, right? 
And so when my relationship with God is strong and I'm talking to him and I'm asking him for direction and I have disciplines in place, right? Because I want to remember, I got to level my pride just enough to know today, right? It's a design for living that really works. And, you know, if I'm not willing to level my pride today and go to him and ask for direction, I'm going to do it my way. And every time I do it my way, I do it the self-centered fear way, right? Where it's all about me. I can't submit. I can't let you have your way. I have to be right. All these things where I go back to make it about me. And um, this is where I found in recovery, right? This is where the deep works happen for me. And really realizing this spiritual malady, this is a real thing, right? Um, it manifests in so many different ways and it, man- it has manifested in my life. And, you know, this prayer, this meditation and this vision that Dave has taught me and showed me based on his experience has been a game changer. You know, this, this idea that I wake up in the morning, right? And, and I pray for his will. And I sit and think about that, right? There's 12 different prayers, but I don't have time to get into those, those different prayers. But the idea is I, may, I can make a mental movie about how I want to react in the morning. I can have a vision about how, who he wants me to be, right? When my wife isn't agreeing with me and we're butting heads, I can picture myself submitting and leveling my pride just enough to not say what I really think or to not try to be right. I can love her. I can listen to her and it's not perfect, you guys, but sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect for me to realize that I need these steps and I need to go back to basics and realize that I do need God in my life. So, so, you know, the daily discipline of the prayer, the meditation and the vision has been just amazing for, for me. Um, you know, and I know that, um, you know, everybody has their own experience with the 12 steps. Everybody, um, has a different sponsor, you know, but, but all I have is my personal experience in a big book. Right. And so today, you know, the, this bright spot in my life and, you know, one of the things that brings me, um, so much happiness is, is having the experience of being in the dark and the lights coming on and seeing so much more clear. Like, I like to look at it like, how do you know what light is if you haven't seen the dark, right? How do you know what, um, you, you know, and, and, I, and I, I have a primary purpose today, you know? And, and I wake up some days and it's like, you know, I don't even want to work. I just want to stay on the phone and I want to talk to guys and I want to go and talk to them. And they see the same chains on them, right. With the mindset and the, you know, the, the mental obsession and, you know, at certain different points in their recovery where, you know, I just want to be there and I want to talk about this stuff and I want to talk about a solution and I want to, I just want to share this stuff, you know, and I'm really passionate about that. And, um, so I never thought that I would be at a point in my life, right? Um, I always saw that, you know, I never thought I would reach a day where I saw more hope 
in my life, then, oh, it's just another day, right? I always woke up thinking, I feel like, oh, well, it's just another day. You know, what am I going to do today? It was an aimless, um, I had this, this feeling, this, this empty hole. And now, you know, through this work, it's God's put a purpose on my heart. He's put a purpose in my step, in my walk. And, and I know what I'm here for now. I know what I'm here. I know, I know what role I'm here to, that he assigned me to play. If I can just listen to him and if I can just level my pride consistently on a regular basis, he gives clear cut directions. You know, I've realized that if I can stop and, and just listen and take these suggestions that the big book talks about, right. They're really, you know, directions, obviously. Um, but, but if I can do that, I can, he'll tell me what my purpose is. Right. Um, so that's been a pretty cool thing to, to do. And, definite bright spot is to share this stuff with the guys, the guys that I work with. And, you know, um, it truly, you know, once the drink is out of us, in my experience, once the drink left me or I left the drink or God did what he does, you know, um, I realized that it's really just, it's a living problem. It's a living problem and it's a relationship problem that I had. Right. Um, I have, a physical aspect of alcoholism. I can't touch the stuff. It does something weird physically where I just want more. But when that's out of me, there's a spiritual and a mental thing that, that only God, only God can conquer. Only a spiritual experience can conquer. And what I've realized through this work is, you know, on a daily basis, that's the thing. I have to be willing to submit. I have to be willing to surrender. I have to be willing to say, yeah, that was God. That wasn't me, you know? Um, and I have to be, be continue to look at this stuff. Otherwise I get fast tracked and I go backwards. You know, I start working the steps backwards, but, um, yeah, today, um, you know, um, I meet with handful of guys on a regular basis. Um, and, and we do life together. We, we talk about marriage. We talk about children. We talk about uh, calamity in sobriety, you know, and it's amazing how when we, when we get together and when where any two or more are gathered is a meeting, right? Like what's the tradition say, you know, and I love all these meetings we get to have, you know, and we get down to business and we get, we talk about real stuff. We talk about, we get honest with where we're at, current stuff that comes up in our marriages, you know, in our parenting, the, all the calamities. And what happens is when we can have those phone calls, when I can reach out, right, and level my pride enough, there, there's my brother on the other end of the phone, matching my calamity with serenity. It's, it's, it's really a, an amazing divine thing that can happen when I'm willing to be honest, right? And if I go back to the beginning of the book, the first principle that it, that, that it talks about, and there is a solution, is honesty. Honesty. Nothing can happen 
unless I'm honest with myself about where I'm at right now, today, in my shoes, right here. It's not about yesterday. It's not about, it is, but, but if I'm getting honest today, it's going to include all that. Right. Um, so I got to remember this stuff in my experience. I have to continue to have men that speak into my life and speak the truth into my life and speak, you know, love and truth into my life. You know, when's the last time you called your sponsor? When's the last time you showed up at your home group? You know, I'll be doing stuff on, on a weekend and have plans with my family a lot, right? My home group Saturday mornings and I'll get texts from guys that I work with, you know, thought this was your home group. Where are you at? You know, and accountability um, is, has just been, you know, off the hook when this thing is really live and active. The accountability is just something that um, I never had before prior to year eight. You know, I never, I never was able and willing to let somebody be fully known to the men in my life and, and uh, say, you know what, God, you got it from here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to show up and and, um, whatever you want. If that means that I, you know, I got to tell my stuff and I got to get current. Um, and I got to talk about what's really going on in my marriage and, and, and talk about what's really going on with me as a dad and my, my anger and my temper tantrums um, and all this, this stuff that keeps happening, right? Current, you know? And so I love to, to share those experiences and hear those experiences from other men because that's, that's the glue. That's the glue that bonds us, right? That's the common peril. Um, and we can come back to that common solution when we get on the phone and we meet face to face at the coffee shop um, or outside of the meeting. You know, we can we can come back together. Right. And, and we can we can write that ship, you know, and I love that about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love that about, you know, the fellowship of the spirit in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, not the hanging out and the barbecuing and all that stuff. That's awesome and it's amazing. But, but this stuff that I've just described, really, I believe to be is the fellowship of the spirit, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and then we can talk about how God's showing up in our relationships and our recovery. You know, and how we're, you know, we feel so much love from this program that it's too good to contain. We got to go and share it with another guy who's who's struggling. You know the very core and the very essence of Alcoholics Anonymous was that. And it was that, and it was that that kept the other one sober, right? One man talking to another with an honest heart, right? Open heart, um, you know, and, and so I'm just grateful, you guys. I don't know where I'm at with time. So <laughs> what did I just say? I don't even know. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I'm good, Josh. I think that's what I got. I'm in there. I just appreciate all you guys, um, you know, and I just got to say just super grateful today. And um, thank you all for having me again. So thanks. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, 